Welcome back to the Nichols College Esports Podcast, Episode 6. And today we have a special guest. We have Jared Maiman, a senior at Nichols College. And today we're going to be asking him a couple questions about some of the games he plays, as well as just having a general discussion with him, along with the three of us, as usual, Tim, Steve, and Brendan. So, Jared, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, pretty good so far. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, no problem. So, what do we want to get into? Um, well, I, I have heard through the grapevine from Dave uh, that you are looking to get Overwatch on this campus. Yes, sir. And how how is that looking? Like, what what is your ideas? What do you? Um, I know you're going to talk to Engelmeyer about this, and mm-hmm. you said Bill Boffy. Mm-hmm. Um, just give me give us a picture of what you're looking to sort of bring to the table and say to them yeah so right now the the way that the structure kind of works is we had a couple games coming in that were just already approved we knew we were going to do like toucan rocket league um they're like basically pg games um everybody can kind of get behind them there's nothing to really worry about so those were pretty much golden uh then when we brought on uh league of legends uh now when we're looking at overwatch uh we've been going through uh boffy Bill Boffy, so uh, he's been kind of able to approve all of the the new games that we've started playing so far. Uh, but when it becomes or when it comes down to Overwatch, uh, it starts to kind of get close to the realm of a first person shooter. I think it's kind of up for debate debate whether it's really a shooter. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting how it works out. So uh, our plan right now is myself and Spencer Malloy. Do you guys know Spencer? I think a little bit, yeah. Yeah, he's the so he's the student body president, uh, and he meets weekly with President Engelmeyer. Um, so he has a pretty good relationship with her, and I also have a pretty good relationship with her. I see her a lot I'm all over the place at events and stuff, and she's at a lot of those. Um, so we're hoping me and him will be able to go in there and kind of work some magic and convince her. Um, so kind of points that we want to bring up while we're talking to her. Uh, I mean – you guys, I'm assuming, have all played Overwatch or have a pretty good knowledge of Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, I mean, there's characters that have guns, right? There's heroes with guns. You've got, uh, like, Reaper, Tracer, Widowmaker with shotguns, pistols, and sniper rifles. Uh, but what we have going for us is half of those guns, A, aren't shooting bullets. They're shooting lasers. Um, so is it really an accurate representation of a gun? Um the game is pretty cartoony um so you look at games like fortnite that has a huge cult following of young kids because their parents are okay with them playing a game that's cartoony there's no gore there's no dismemberment or blood uh and it's the same case with overwatch um so we're going to kind of try to go in with those points uh i think the main opposition we're going to run into is uh president engelmeyer's more or less her main concern is that uh, if we start playing first-person shooter games, uh, it reflects poorly, and it says we like approve of these games, we condone what's happening in the games, and she's worried that that'll affect the public opinion of Nichols. Um, and I can completely understand that. I think you guys would agree if we tried to pull on a game like Call of Duty. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of research into Call of Duty, whether or not it makes kids more violent. It, it doesn't. Um, but that's still public opinion. People think violent games make kids violent. Uh, with Overwatch, we really don't think it's a very violent game. Um, I mean, you're not even really killing heroes. You're eliminating them. You're respawning. It's not like a search and destroy game mode where it's like you're dead and you don't get to play anymore. Um, so it's it's pretty cartoony, pretty arcadey. And we think if we go in with those points and then maybe bring a petition along or show how many kids are interested, uh, then we'll have a pretty good good case yeah i think one of the things that we brought up about overwatch was like what actually what i brought up is because i when i play overwatch i typically play as lucio and like a prime example like bring that up like the dude rides around on rollerblades and shoots like a sonic boom at people like it's it's he's got a he's got a pistol but he's shooting sound waves yeah so i mean it's not like yeah that's a gun but like he still shoots like projectiles yeah exactly and air quotes in my opinion to look at that game and to say it's a violent first-person shooter is almost kind of laughable. Yeah. I mean, the guy's running around on rollerblades with a sound wave gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I do. We we've had the discussion about whether Overwatch should be a collegiate esport, and we all agree that it should be. Like we talked about how it's like the bridge game to like the first-person shooter realm, and I do, I 
don't think that right now in like the the infancy of the esports program at Nichols that we should be playing Call of Duty. Like I've seen that like yeah, some people have um have played Call of Duty in like at like the collegiate level. I saw a video on Twitter about like some team was um in like a, a 2K tournament over this or 2K as in like Call of Duty 2K. Mm-hmm. And um they they played against a collegiate team. So I mean it all depends on whether like what the the president of the school wants to do and I I do know and I do see where president Engelmeyer is coming from regarding that. Yeah, definitely and um I think it's interesting that there's actually some college teams playing Call of Duty. Uh I do think I mean that can be one that does reflect poorly on like the public opinion. Um but I know one thing that a lot of colleges have done which might actually work at Nichols at least for the first year or first semester that we try this is uh and I, I can't remember exactly what school it is but i know there's another school in mass that has an esports team that has a club team as well and we just started a club team so i'm actually the vice president of the club team and a member of the varsity team um so we're hoping we can kind of bridge it and if we can't get approved for overwatch to play competitively on the varsity team against other schools next semester then maybe we can trial it on the club team because the club team runs through sga and therefore wouldn't fall under necessarily president Engelmeyer, we can kind of play what we want to as long as we're not competing on behalf of the school um so if worse comes to worse we could always try that and then i think it's one of those things really where the more knowledge you have about the game the more you understand that it's totally fair to be a collegiate esport yeah definitely um one of the things that i always talk about is that overwatch isn't such a game that rewards eliminations or kills or anything like that like the game is based upon protecting an area or bringing a certain area to another area like it's not like call of duty where it's like deathmatch kill everyone and that's it like you kill everyone you're the winner this is just try and halt someone from getting to a certain area and that's it exactly that in my mind it makes it a lot easier for um people to understand that it's not so centric on actually killing people exactly yeah and i think kind of that's one of the reasons why league of legends was approved because uh league of legends i mean there's some violence again you're like casting spells damaging players eliminating players but the goal isn't necessarily necessarily eliminations it's to build momentum in the game right um so when you're trying to eliminate someone or you finally get a kill in league of legends you're essentially not knocking them out of the game you're sending them back to their base so you have less time competing against five players and more time competing against four players and in overwatch is really the same scenario i mean in the payload game modes if you're defending you don't want them to push the payload into your uh, base then the best way to do that is to just keep them off the payload. And it doesn't need to necessarily be eliminations. You can set up a shield and just stand on the payload and they'll be afraid to come close to you. Um, so yeah, it's like a total teamwork game. I really, like you said, it's absolutely not about eliminations. And even when eliminations do happen, you're being, I don't know, the life is being sucked out of you by like Myra or Lucio shooting you with sound waves. Right. So. <laughs> I, I think that like the same thing could potentially be said about call of duty regarding that like especially in like competitive call of duty like they don't play team deathmatch they play like game modes that is centered around an objective and killing or eliminating the other team just facilitates you winning the game and that same thing can be said about overwatch the same thing could be said about other games that like legal like league of legends where like the Killing will always be, or eliminating, will always be an aspect of those games, but it's not, like, the core aspect. It just facilitates you and the success of your team. Yeah, and, and in Call of Duty, it's it's always been that game, that, that bloody dismemberment kind of game, but that's why people like, Act, uh, companies like Activision added in the, the filters, the dismemberment filters, and I don't know if you guys watch a lot of Call of Duty, like, streamers and stuff, um... A couple of them that are quote unquote family friendly have those filters turned on, and nobody has a problem with it. Twitch doesn't have a problem with it. They don't age restrict it anymore because they turned on those filters. So if that's like an option that colleges could do to potentially get Call of Duty into the arenas, yeah. Well, didn't Advanced Warfare have like their for their competitive? They they had paintballs. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't like actual bullets. It was paintballs for mm-hmm. their competitive Call of Duty season, which I thought was interesting. I mean, they haven't done anything like that 
since then. No. But if you want to think about doing that, maybe you should add it in because it will make it a lot more family friendly, I guess. Yeah. Um, I, w- I did want to get your thoughts, Jared, on um, Overwatch 2. When we, when we talked about it on the pod initially before it was even launched, I said that I believed Overwatch didn't need a sequel. I think it was just a game that needed a bunch of upkeep and adding new characters, which they have done. They've added new maps and new characters, but after seeing the the BlizzCon uh, trailers for like the new story mode and everything, I am fully invested in Overwatch Two because I think the story good. mode looks so good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what do you what are your thoughts on Overwatch Two? What did you think? I think uh, overall, I'm not like I'm not sure the game was entirely necessary. I think Blizzard could have taken some of the stuff that they're putting into the game and just bundled it and put it into a different game. But I actually really love what they're doing with Overwatch. And it almost kind of reminds me of what Fortnite just did. Fortnite's a game with a competitive scene, and they know if they release a new game, that competitive scene is going to be split up. You're going to split up the player base. People aren't going to know, are we still playing Overwatch 1 or Overwatch 2? And so Fortnite just did, I I mean, they came out with Fortnite Part 2, right? And that's basically them saying, uh, we're releasing a second game, but we're not updating the graphics. So they dropped a new map, they dropped new weapons, dropped new uh, abilities, took out all the movement items, and I think that's kind of similar to what Overwatch is doing. So they're trying to make the game fresh again, getting people back into it again, increasing the competitive scene while keeping the whole player base together. And I think what they've done is really impressive. Yeah, the one thing I was concerned about was that with the Overwatch 2, they were going to get whole new heroes into it. And I was that's what I was, that was my main concern, because like, People who had played Overwatch and they have like this one character that they put like 5,000 hours into and then they're just gone like the next year when you switch over to Overwatch 2. And I, I do like that they're actually like updating character models and everything like that, making them look different, making the graph, they're updating the graphics a little bit, I heard, but not, not anything like substantial, which like I, I think it was definitely something that didn't technically need to be done, but I like that it is being done because I think they're doing a good job at it. Yeah. And I think progress is really important to players in competitive games so even hours logged if you suck with a certain hero you're still proud that you have 150 hours with that hero because you're like this is my main i own this this is cool and i think if they had decided to release overwatch 2 and your progress didn't carry over they would have not only lost and split up a lot of their player base but they would have lost a lot of trust because people i mean you look at the skins that people have dropped money on there's some people out there i mean streamers and stuff have dropped hundreds or even in some cases thousands of dollars on skins and it's because they know the game's going to be around for a long time it's going to have a competitive scene for a long time so they're willing to invest in it if blizzard had said we're releasing a second game and your progress isn't carrying over then what's the motivation for going in and buying all those new skins and buying all these items when you know you're only going to use them for a year until the next game comes out yeah i think every game has that that certain thing on whether you need to make a new game mm-hmm. or keep the same game, but just keep updating it. And I think like games like Counter-Strike, League of Legends, and all those, all they need to do is just keep upkeeping the game because the games have massive followings. But if you look like Call of Duty, they kind of have to make a new game every year to get public interest into it. So I think like ultimately, Overwatch was kind of on like the border of that. Like the Overwatch League really hadn't taken off. Like I think that Blizzard and ESPN who like wanted to. So I think that creating the new game will hopefully bring more public interest into it especially with like the the introduction of the call of duty league now especially like having two blizzard run leagues now it definitely opens the door for other uh developers and other like uh, production studios to think about doing that it's cool time in esports yeah definitely um so we do have another news story that i found and it's that um for the French team, Team Vitality, they are doing like a um, a crossover with Adidas, and they're at, they're at like a bunch of sneakers. And um, if for people that don't know, uh, Vitality has teams in League of Legends and Counter Strike and Rainbow Six, and um, they do have a team that's like kind of like a sub team. It's called Renault Vitality in uh, Rocket League. So I kind of wanted to get your guys' opinion on like a major lifestyle brand like Adidas joining forces with a competitive esports organization. I mean, I just sort of expect it as of this point. Like, all the major clothing brands have gotten in somewhere with any of the sports. Like, 
fighting over the being the main person for baseball or football, anything like that. Like this is sort of going to be the same deal. And, you know, Adidas is jumping on as soon as possible because they know that if esports does become as big as people do think that it's going to be, they'll make a lot of money with it. I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, I think money is kind of the headline here. I think right now in esports, kind of the dynamic is coaches, players, and equipment is all being paid for by winnings. And if your team's not really winning, you're not making money, you're not getting publicity, you can't be an influencer, you can't make money from YouTube or Twitch or anything, you're kind of screwed. And I think with clothing brands coming in and doing sponsorship deals and exclusivity deals, I think that means money is finally kind of flowing more heavily into esports. And teams are able to support themselves through sponsorship deals, advertisement deals, partnerships, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think overall, that's going to be really, really huge for esports continued success. Yeah, I definitely think it's interesting. Um, what this means, the, like the way I see it, is that like you have organizations like 100 Thieves and some other teams that actually do have like merchandise. So like. 100 Thieves has gone out and said that they are a lifestyle brand above an esports organization. And, like, do you think that, like, companies like Adidas are going to, like, start doing, like, esports just to compete in that, that like, market of, like, lifestyle crossover with esports? Because I think that 100 Thieves is definitely the first organization to do something like that. And I think that it's really interesting that they don't explicitly say that they're a lifestyle brand or that they're an esports organization. They say that they're both and i feel like nade shot has done an excellent job of like maintaining the the image of being able to support both of those things yeah i completely agree with that that it's also why they can command a premium price like their stuff is pretty expensive when you look at it compared to some of the normal more normal pricing ranges but that's because they own their brand and that's it like you can't get anything else besides them it's not like a widespread like oh, this is all of Adidas stuff. It's basically the same thing as Nike, same thing as Under Armour. Like, they're all very, very similar. Like, they have their own specific brand, their own specific style, and that's what creates them to have that premium price. Yeah, or, like, another example, Champion with FaZe. Um, the FaZe hoodies with Champion sponsorship, like $80, and they're all sold out, and you go on eBay, and they're they're looking for $500 for one of those hoodies. It's just a hoodie. <laughs> It's just yeah, it's just a hoodie with a champion mixed with a face logo. Yeah, like like it's it's crazy. But I do think that yeah, hundred hundred thieves can't afford to do that because they are a like very exclusive brand. And like even like you said, they command that market for hundred thieves apparel. And yeah, they they sell their stuff for like super expensive. But at the same time, they sell out in like fifteen minutes. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just crazy. Like to see like the popularity of that brand like skyrocket like that. I think that's why Adidas is doing this because they know that like French esports is massive and especially with the largest team in France with Vitality it's something that they I don't think they probably could have passed up to answer your uh, your earlier question a little bit too you were talking about are other companies going to start doing similar things uh, I think absolutely I think right now uh, this company is kind of being more or less an early adopter uh, they're getting into the space and being aggressive with making apparel that people are going to like. Uh, and I think if these other big companies that are endorsing and involved heavily with other sports like Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, if they don't get involved soon, they're going to fall behind. Um, so like right now, I think overall for esports, we're kind of in the early adopter phase. But I think very shortly, you're going to see a lot of other companies start to get involved in that same space. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, the second story we have is... Over the past couple of years, um, or more importantly, the last year or so, Echo Fox really has been under the microscope of legals and other things like that. And um, yesterday, finally, Echo Fox had completely disbanded and dissolved, uh, terminating all contracts and ending the organization. And over like the last year, like I said, they've done a lot of legal disputes and not paying their players and everything like that. And we've seen things like that, like last year, Red Reserve completely dissolving because they just couldn't afford to pay their players anymore. And I feel like this is kind of like a, a way to show that like esports 
really hasn't gotten there yet to be a sustainable money-making industry. And it's clearly shown in the way that um, organizations have struggled to be able to pay their players prize money and even contracts. Like you saw like with Red Reserve, they were nearly 10 months behind on paying their players, and that's why they had to dissolve. So do you think that you will see less and less of this as esports continues to grow, or do you think that the or the newer organizations that are coming up will s- continue to struggle with these finances? I th- so I think, uh, in my opinion, I think as esports continues to grow and some of these teams gain popularity and notoriety, these problems are going to be a lot more rare. Um, and the reason I say that is kind of similar to what we were talking about earlier, similar explanation. Uh, right now, the main source of money in esports is winnings, is prizes, and winnings aren't sustainable. Uh, you need to pay coaches, you need to pay players, you need to pay for equipment, and on top of that, the person that invested in the team to get it started needs a return. That's why they started the team. Um, either they love esports or they're looking for money, and in a lot of cases, they're looking for money, especially with uh, some of the uh, team managers and owners coming over from basketball and starting esports teams, they're in it for the money. They're in it for the publicity. Um, so I think as as it gets more popular and some of these big-name brands get on and start doing sponsorship deals and advertising deals, all that kind of stuff, these problems are going to go away because esports will be more sustainable as a money-making sport. Um, and on top of that, players won't need as much compensation from prizes because they'll have individual sponsor deals. Uh, eventually. So, I mean, you look at the NFL, uh, like the Seahawks are a great team. They make a lot of money and Russell Wilson's happy with his contract, but he's also got sponsorship deals. So he's making money on the side. And I think as esports gets bigger, that'll happen to more players and more teams. And that just spells out more success. Right. I think like the, the biggest prime example of like a major organization, like failing to add value to a brand is do you know like the whole optic gaming situation that happened with like infinite esports i don't so what happened was uh, maybe brendan you know about this right very little i I heard about a little bit but not okay so i will give you guys a a full recap (laughs) so what happened over two years ago when uh, optic gaming still had their their dynasty roster was hex sold a sold a majority portion of optic to infinite uh, Infinite Esports, and I forget the rest of the name of their company, mm-hmm. but that uh, large parent organization also owns the Texas Rangers and a bunch of other Texas organizations. And what they did was they basically took the company from Hex and completely changed it, added like a bunch of different stuff to Optic, and basically like ripped the identity from away from the brand. And now, most recently. Optic was then sold to Immortals, and Hex took his all of his Call of Duty players that he still wanted, only one of them, and went over to NRG. So, I feel like with like the Infinite Project that that was like a failed major investment in Optic, and I feel like if more organizations like ones that own like in the big four sports in the United States, if they try and join, they could negatively in- impact esports organizations because i feel like the management of esports is completely different from than the big four in the united states so i mean with that just like the management aspect there's no fluid complete utter structure to this at all so that's one of the biggest spots that i always talk about is if there's no structure how are you going to invest into something that you know can easily fail because there it's like baseball even though some of the organizations may not be getting, you know, the exact profit that they want or profit that they think they should have, it's still being upheld because that wide organization of major league baseball is helping them out with collective bargaining and just all the stuff that is bringing in different revenue aspects. This with all these small teams that are trying to, you know, jumpstart themselves and be some of the top, like hundred thieves or liquid or cloud nine, they don't have that opportunity as much because they don't have collective bargaining or any just straight structure. That That's really the biggest issue that I look at. Yeah, I definitely think that the lack of structure in these newly formed organizations, I mean, 
granted, like these people know how to run a company. Like you can see, like clearly that Nadeshot knows what's best for Hundred Thieves by not investing in the Call of Duty League, because he knows that they wouldn't be able to pay that twenty-five million dollar fee for a league that would probably end up failing because Call of Duty is a dying game. So, I mean, to put it bluntly, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, Call of Duty is a is a dying game, and he knows not to invest that money, but. There are organizations like FaZe and Optic after everything that happened that are still synonymous with Call of Duty and they kind of need to be in that league in order to bring the league any legitimacy. So I think that that is something that they needed to look at. And I think that there are organizations that do have structure and they know what's best. And I think that a lot of like the smaller ones, like, like, like we saw, like Echo Fox really wasn't small, but they just had zero idea about how to run a company and they just wanted to be a part of esports and that's what ended up hurting them because they had no business brain cells yeah and and you you brought up um how optic and phase almost have to compete in call of duty because that that's what brings the popularity and i almost think it's something to do with it's the almost the other way around it's almost like if they didn't compete in call of duty they wouldn't they would lose their legitimacy because when you think of phase you think Modern Warfare 2 trick shots, probably, right? Yep. And Call of Duty and Optic, Call of Duty, Scump, all of those guys. And and almost I don't I don't really know anything about like the other games that they compete in or if they're any good. But I know most of the guy most of the people I talk to think of FaZe as Call of Duty, Optic, Call of Duty, and they need to they need to keep their popularity by playing that game. Yeah, I think that's how I think it's it's kind of like a two way street. Yeah. Call of Duty exists because Optic and Phase exist, and Optic and Phase exist because Call of Duty exists. So it's like a, it's a give and take. But I think that because of the dying popularity of Call of Duty, having those teams in the league is something that they needed. Because if not, I feel like the league would have failed. Because even now, like, like Optic's name is literally. Optic Los Angeles. That's the name of their franchise team. Like they don't have like any name like the what is it, the Dallas Empire or something like that? It's like literally has Optic in their name. So like it shows that they needed that brand to be a part of the league. So So bringing up our next topic, November 19th, Stadia is joining the group of Xbox and PlayStation trying to be the next big gaming platform. Um, That's... This is all project under Google. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but let me put some input on it. It is trying to be connected with Xbox and PlayStation, trying to be make like a big three type deal uh, outside of PC. What Google is trying to initiate is that every single you know Google Chrome possible place that you can get that site on, you'll be able to play this any of the games that are on their system. All you need is like this controller and that's it. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard, of, heard about it or anything. Just give me some of your inputs. I think it is going to be very interesting where gaming goes uh, after this. I think uh, when Google originally announced Stadia, um, they had the future in mind and they were thinking, this is where gaming is going to go. Eventually everything is going to be streamed their biggest obstacle right now is just internet connection. So, I mean, it's a phenomenal concept being able to stream like Call of Duty or like Rage 2 in 4K on your iPhone or your Google Pixel. I think they're only doing it on Pixels for now. Uh, will be pretty incredible. Um, but I think the biggest problem they're going to run into, and I think it's pretty obvious, is latency. So, I mean, you're going to click a button and say you're playing Call of Duty, you pull the trigger, how many seconds or milliseconds after you pull the trigger do you shoot? Um, so I think it'll be very interesting. I think uh, with 5G coming around soon, hopefully soon, um, they'll see a big boost uh, or a reduction in that latency, and I think that'll help them out a lot. Um, but personally, I don't think I'll be an early adopter of this. Um, and it's a little expensive. I think, what is it, 130 and then you buy uh, the games? Yep, 130 and then buying games and then uh, a $10 a month uh, fee. Which, I mean, $10 a month isn't bad in comparison because, like, Xbox Live is, like, 60 for oh, for, for the year. year. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, uh, I mean, it's it can be reasonably priced if you're interested in it. Um, but the, the other thing I worry about is, so this service runs completely on their servers. So you do not have the game installed on a device uh, that you own. You do not have a physical copy of the game. Google is notorious, and I mean notorious, for discontinuing product lines. Uh, they've discontinued phones. They've discontinued softwares in the past. Um, every, I feel like every time I fall in love with a new software from them, they discontinue it. Um, so, I mean, they, they're truly notorious for kind of giving up on things if it doesn't work out. Uh, look at like Google Glass from a couple years ago. They were going to do augmented reality glasses. They realized nobody cared and it wasn't going to work, so they gave up. What happens if you go and buy 10 games for $600 and then they give up on the project? What I mean, what happens to your games? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you brought up a great point with latency, and I think because Google is Google, I think this is a great opportunity for them to market their Google Fiber along with mm. the Stadia. So make that $10 a month, make that, I don't know what Fiber runs, depending on where you are, probably like 50 bucks a month, probably more than that. But it opens up a whole new opportunity for for Google themselves where where they can they can not only sell this new device that's going to hopefully compete with PlayStation, Xbox and I don't think for many years it'll compete with PC just because of the technology that they're running with it right now, but it opens up a whole new door for them to like launch these new these new items cuz Fiber, Google Fiber is still pretty new. Um and I think they only run it in 16 states, somewhere around there. Yeah. So, yeah. I I don't know how I feel about this. I, I like the concept, but like what Jared said, latency makes a difference, mm -hmm. especially in online games and especially like games with Call of Duty, which is something that, or other games that involve player versus player combat. Um, I, I think that, I think initially I 100% think latency is going to be an issue mm -hmm. because those people just don't have it there with them. They, they basically have to travel across the country mm -hmm. in order to reach their phone. I mean, granted technology has definitely grown where that could be a potential to where like latency isn't really an issue, but I think it will be. I think it's a little bit expensive for a controller and that's it. I mean, granted, you can ba you can play wherever you want, but at the same time, you need to buy the Google Pixel. There's not many people that have Google Pixels, mm -hmm. um, and the only way that you'd really be able to play is on a computer. And I, I do think that this is a direct competitor to the PC, unlike what you said, Brendan. I think that it's because Google knows that people can't afford ridiculously high-powered and like PCs that can run like like Alienware like this in the in the room that we're in right now six Alienware uh PC towers are in here and they're probably $1500 each mm -hmm. so like people like Google knows that they can't buy that like people most people can't afford that so I feel like doing this is something that they think is a direct counter to it except minus the the mouse and keyboard um but I think at the end of the day Saving up money for a PC tower is cheaper than this because you still got to pay the ten dollar fee. So I I don't like the idea. I definitely won't be getting it right mm -hmm. away. I'll have to wait and see. Uh, two of the things that they bring up in this article, since you know we we were talking about that it's on their servers and they deal with everything, mm -hmm. they're saying that this will also bring no cheating and no hacking at all because of it being on their server. No way. There, there will be a workaround somewhere. Someone will find it. There's oh, yeah. no chance. That there's, there's always a hacker out there always. like that figures everything out. Yeah. Somebody will hack this day one. <laughs> <laughs> I am willing to put money on that. Probably. Um, another thing which I had thought about um, was if, say, 5 million people buy this, just throwing a number out there, you can only play with fi those 5 million people. That's what I was thinking in, like, in my head, how is it going to expand if you only have a limited amount? But they are fully saying that all games will be cross-platform and you can bring games saved to different um, consoles. They do know that Microsoft and Sony has to accept the cross-platform, correct? I'd hope that they do. 
They're uh, I think they can afford it. I think they can afford to pay off Sony and Microsoft. They're yeah, but at the same time, Sony and Microsoft are not going to be willing. Like it was a a stalemate for the longest time since when 2006 at least that now finally this year Microsoft and Sony decided to do cross-platform games like it's Jared you look at a look on your face like you're thinking of something yeah I'm just thinking like cross-platform these so essentially you're paying with Stadia you're paying for the right to play a game that is running on a remote server so is that remote server a PC? So, are, like, when you queue up for a game, are you playing with Stadia players or PC players? Because you're you're technically running the game on a server, which is it's a, a PC, a computer, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's going to be a PC because that, that's the highest yeah. power they can get. So, it's going to be interesting. Do you got any more information about this, Steve? Um, just looking at it, they're also bringing it in um a free version in February 2020. Uh, for the paid version, obviously we talked about it, ten dollars a month. I don't know exactly what they're doing or where they're going with for the free version. It seems like it just might be a little bit sort of dumbered down, like not as good quality. Um, not exactly all the games that you know you'd be looking for. Um, but yeah, that that's about it. It's it's an interesting concept and. Like Tim was saying, I I'm not gonna be an early adopter. I got enough money going through Xbox right now. I don't think I can handle another system. I think what what Stadia does have, where they're kind of stealing some market share, is with casual gamers. So, and that I don't necessarily mean casual gamers like you're not competitive. You just like to play COD. I mean like casual players that like. I don't know, like couch co-op games, like Mario Kart style games, like playful arcade games. And I think if you're not ready, I mean, you look at the next generation of consoles, price points are being leaked. Some of these consoles are $400, $500, PCs 1500 to $2,000 to get comparable quality. I mean, if if you're just someone that wants to play some of the newer games but doesn't want to invest the money in one of these consoles, I think Stadia is your best option. Yeah, I I definitely think so because it definitely is the cheaper of the of the bunch, but also, so what? It's ten dollars a month. So what? One hundred and twenty dollars a year. Yeah, and then if you're playing I, online, yeah, I guess. Which yeah. by the by that time they probably are going to come out with a new console. What? It's been seven years since a new console's come out. Well, they announced um, PS Five and Xbox Two already, which yeah, PlayStation Five is coming is out holiday twenty. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. holiday so, 2021 or 20 2020 2020 yeah the yeah. next year next year so yeah seven years because i remember i got my playstation 4 2013 yeah when black ops 3 came out no ghosts 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 oh, was the game that came with it. yeah yeah i got that's it right. like the day of right. i had hives <laughs> and i went to gamestop it sat outside black friday and got it um someone's so, committed hell yeah <laughs> and then um so is this like the the Stadia, like whenever you're watching a YouTube video, is this like the ad that pops up like every other YouTube video? Yeah. I honestly haven't seen That's that. That's the one, the weird looking controller thing that pops up. Yeah. And like yeah. the guy's like yelling and then it shows Assassin's Creed. That's the one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I wanted to make sure because yep. I see it like all the time. And I now I thought it was just like, um I thought it was like an NVIDIA or like right. a. Uh, like a shield. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like a, um like a graphics card or something, but I didn't know it was an actual thing until. Now that you you mentioned that commercial, I'm I'm kind of thinking about what I was talking about earlier with casual gaming, and I think Assassin's Creed is a great example of a game that I mean, if you wanted to play a game but you don't want to spend five hundred dollars on the PS5 and then buy a sixty dollar game, I mean, this is your perfect opportunity, I think. I mean, and do you guys know what's the deal with the ten dollars a month? Is that if you want to play online, or is that in general you need to pay ten dollars a month? It's sort of like a Xbox Gold. Okay. Live. Um. It. That's what it was saying in the article. It sort of dealing with that aspect. Yeah. No, I thought it was just like owning the controller. Like you just too. pay like a ten dollar upkeep fee to keep playing. Right. Because I mean, the reason PlayStation started charging for online is to <coughs> avoid hackers, and because the PlayStation Three was free. Yeah. Online. Yeah. So. PS PSM was free. I know. Mm-hmm. And I think like when we were going back to like price points was like. 
the reason why I bought my PlayStation 4 is because it was cheaper than the Xbox when it first came out. It was like, what, $100 cheaper? I paid 450 Because you needed to connect with the Xbox. Yeah, because it, it came with the Kinect. And then they started not doing it with the Kinect. So I paid 400 I think, plus a game. So it was maybe, with, with taxes, I think it was like 500 and you would have ended up paying like 650 for the Xbox because it was like $100 more. So that's why me and all my friends bought the PlayStation. And I don't know. I think, the like I said, the idea of the Stadia is good, but eh, I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, jumping back on uh, the question for $10, it, I was wrong with the online deal um, with it. It's for everything you can get online but this is for like free games of the month monthly games um keeping that subscription um and discounts on games but that the thing is that's not until february 2020 gotcha so you're gonna have to pay the ten dollars a month until february 2020 so it's like xbox game pass yeah yeah or playstation plus yeah yeah okay all right um what other things do you have to talk about um one one thing that uh had been brought to my attention with Dave uh ex Nichols alum uh has this company uh it I forget it's like a ritual something I forget exactly what it was but basically they're talking about almost sponsoring us in a way and like having a our first you know company connected with us they are gaming gloves that um supposed to help with like you know your fingers and everything like that, just being able to move faster. That's what they preach. Um, any thoughts on like what, if gaming gloves are going to be a thing or if that's just, you know, just a random idea? Um, I don't know. I, I know that like, because I watch a lot of Counter-Strike and I know that they keep like hand warmers by their, their like keyboards and they like hold them after each round. So, I mean, I don't think gloves would work well with, PC, but I do think that maybe they could work for consoles. I don't. I don't know. Are they like? Are they like fingerless gloves? Yes, they're fingerless. Oh, it's, okay. It's, so then, it's yeah, ritual. I... Ritual motion. Um, they have fingerless gloves. Um, and they're supposed to help with just mobility. A lot of the stuff that they have is in, um, console gaming, not so much as PC. Um. But the thing is, I was talking our our friend Nick that was on the podcast before. Uh, he deals with also the physical therapy aspect with it, and he said that actually using console actual controllers isn't as bad as using PC. PC makes it a little bit worse than console because you're. He was talking about like wrist motion that it, it sits in a better spot. So yeah. so are these like therapeutic gloves? Like, they'll help against injuries because I know David Price, the Red Sox, got carpal tunnel from playing Fortnite and couldn't pitch a game or, or had to set out a game because of that. It, last it's year, it's that. supposed to be um, somewhat preventive in that way, um, making it easier for your blood to flow, right. um, making it just easier on your hands while you're gaming, basically, and your fingers. I, I do think now that I know that they're fingerless. I think it could work for PC too. Because like if you're trying like have you, if you've ever tried to type on a keyboard with gloves on, you can't. <laughs> so now that I know that they're like fingerless, you that that may be a, a viable possibility. I was just going to say maybe it'll help uh, soak up some sweat from our palms. True. <laughs> True, that could work too. I think it I think what would be cool is if they, because like, like I said, with the Counter-Strike pros, they have the hand warmers to keep their fingers like warm, I mm-hmm. guess, which is I didn't think that was possible. But here we are. Yeah, that, that's one of the supposed like, biggest things that esports organizations use is uh, hand warmers. Yeah, so like, why don't you make these gloves have like, a, like a, a hand warmer you can just like slip in and you can just keep them in like, the whole time to keep your hands warm the whole time? So yeah. it's a business idea. So am I weird? I I play better while my hands are cold. I that, I play substantially weird? worse when my hands are cold. Really? Actually, that's pretty weird. I was that's weird. I was thinking okay. about this, and like if I'm in my room, 
playing Call of Duty or in the room we're sitting in playing League of Legends, like if my fingers and like my fingertips get cold, I can't move them as fast. I can't be like as precise with them. So I don't know. I think, yeah, if they had like a hand warmer in them or something, or even just the gloves, probably going to keep your hand a little bit warmer, which I think does contribute in a minor way, at least to performance. Even if it's a minuscule difference, I think it's something that is definitely making a difference at least. And Dave said this that they wanted to sponsor the podcast. Uh, not not for the podcast for the team. Un- unfortunately, why not the podcast? Uh, <laughs> maybe we could possibly get the we podcast as well. What's wrong with the podcast? Nothing wrong with the podcast. Um, <laughs> Demand a trial. But yeah, they want to. Well, what we're hoping is that they can work with us and help us, um, sort of on the back end with jersey customization. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Um, Jerseys are coming. They're on their way. I looked at the design a little bit. Uh, coming in pretty well. It's just uh, we're just trying to find the actual vendor for that right now. Didn't you make the design? Um, I helped out with it a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, some of the uh, aspects that we were looking for in it didn't come to fruition because the certain companies don't have ability to, for us to play around as much as we wanted. Gotcha, gotcha. But they're coming along. Um should be here soon once we find the exact vendor that we're looking for. We have a few minutes to play with. Um, what time is it? Uh, 3.05. Yeah, we'll get a couple minutes. Uh, I do want to talk about, because I know, Jared, you play a lot of Call of Duty, and oh, yeah. we had this discussion last pod, but we could talk for like five minutes about new COD, what your thoughts are, and what do you think needs to be changed? Because I know a lot needs to be changed in the game. And yeah. either, I guess Brendan was saying that there was a patch earlier today. I hadn't had a chance to play it. So what are your thoughts on the game so far? Uh, so, so far, I've been liking it. I like the movement. I like the weapons. I think as far as... Oh, actually, I'm going to take that last part back. The weapons, some of them are pretty overpowered. Uh, I guess the 725 got nerfed again today, which is good. That's a big plus because that thing's a sniper rifle. Um, but I've been noticing a lot of the assault rifles especially feel pretty similar. So like the M4, the Kilo um like mo- a lot of the ARs just feel similar especially yeah, the when you put, yeah the M13 was the other one I couldn't think of um they just feel really similar especially if you put like the same attachments on them you just there's no noticeable difference yeah um i like last night when i was playing i was playing with the scar a lot mm-hmm. um classic without without a uh, an underbarrel attachment that gun is like a like a donkey kicks you in the face trying to re- control the recoil with that thing. Um, and then, like, I got, like, the commando foregrip, and, like, immediately the thing's a laser rifle. I'm like, how the hell does that happen? Like, how does it go from kicking like a donkey to being a laser? And what I, also what I found with that gun is if you turn it on semi-auto, it's nasty. I bet. So good. Oh, yeah, because yeah. if you keep it on full auto without the foregrip, you run out of ammo before you can even look at the sky. That's true. Because you will look at the sky once you finish the med. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that a few <laughs> times. Um, what are your thoughts on gunfight? Uh, I think it's a really fun game mode. I think uh, it actually kind of lends naturally to esports. I could see it getting big. I think game battles is something that is that's like a prime. I think they did that because of game battles, just set it up easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and, think that's going to get huge, though. Yeah. And my last question: maps. Yeah, so that was that was the other thing I was going to say initially, and I think this is pretty controversial of a subject, but as far as the maps go, I think some are good. At the end of the day, they tried to get away from three lanes, and I think either it ended up being three lanes disguised as something else, or it is a extremely bizarre map. Um, so like the one with the buses, is that Piccadilly? I get Piccadilly. the names mixed up. Yeah, I that map is brutal. Awful. Like they tried to get away from the three lanes, so they made a big circle, and a spawn is the most campable spawn in any game ever. And every spawn, it's just like yeah, it is basically a big circle, and anybody can spawn anywhere, and you could be looking one way, and somebody spawns behind you because the outsides outskirts of the map from where everybody's fighting is so far away that like the game spawns anybody wherever or even better when your character yells enemy by the buses and there's 12 <laughs> different buses on the map so many sets of <laughs> so buses you have no so idea. many sets of goddamn buses well when the character <laughs> well when the character says anything in the game oh enemy spotted like yeah 
oh, where's that? Because I have no idea. There's nothing marked anywhere. I don't see anything on my screen that says this is where this is. And it's, it's, uh, um, we are a, um, a very strong, um, strongly against uh, Euphrates Bridge on this podcast. Yes. Mm. Um, that map, terrible. Yep. Terrible. Whenever it pops up on the, in the pregame lobby, I leave. I quit. Although, yep. <sighs> try the MP5 on Euphrates Bridge. 78 kills. Wow. Yesterday. Yeah, it's okay. I probably won't even play the map ever. <laughs> um, the past yesterday, um, my friends and I played the Shoot House 24-7, and that was a lot of fun. Yep. That's the best map in the game. With the and 725, it's, it's actually a map where I enjoy using the 725, and I don't feel like a jerk. I, I <laughs> use the, the Origin 12 shotgun. I use, uh, I use the, an overkill on all my classes, except for when I have a, a sniper. I use like a SMG as the secondary. But like my friends give me so much crap about um using shotguns and then i just run into like like for example like the the b flag and shoot house if you know where that is mm-hmm. um i just run over there with the with the shotgun and just hip fire and get like three kills absolutely it's just it's awesome yeah sometimes you can get a couple kills with uh one shot on that map too especially at the b flag oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah that's a lot of fun yeah but i think overall the game is is good i think uh, it's a good game though one last thing that i'll say about maps is i think there's one map that was done right and I think that's Hackney Yard. I don't know if you guys agree, but I love every part of that map. It's, I mean, more or less, it's a traditional three-lane map. You've got the middle and then the two buildings on the sides. But what I love about that map, and I loved it in the beta and I still love it, is you can move vertically. There's so many spots where you can climb, get new vantage points. People aren't expecting you to pop out of a certain spot, and then you're above them out of nowhere. And I think it's brilliant. I love that map, love playing that map, get excited every time it comes on. Yeah, but it rarely comes on. It's true. Um, I, think, um, that is, I think that is my favorite map that was standard, came, came standard with the game. But I am a very... Uh, I, I, dislike strongly verticality in maps i know you said that you like verticality in maps i hate it i i don't like people shooting me from a three-story window when i'm on the ground and i think that's like like i said shoot house is probably the best map in the game but it also has a lot of places where you can die from and i I don't like all the different angles people can kill you from like if you're gonna kill me don't shoot me from behind i want like a a straight-up gunfight and if you can beat me then congrats so but like with that logic, I, I understand that you don't like the city, the the, the ground war map. Yeah, the ground war map. Uh, yes. <laughs> I also yes. hate that the, map. The seventeen with story my whole building. Being. Yeah. 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 No, yep. Nope. Terrible. Um, the best the best ground war map now is farmland. the the farmland one. Yeah. 100%. Um, I've gotten sick of Karst River Quarry. Yeah. Um, I. I hardly ever play ground war anymore. Like I'll play sometimes just because if, if we need it for like the missions or the objectives or something like that, then I'll play. But if I'll try to avoid it if I can. So I think that's all we have time for today. We are 12 minutes over time. Um, Jared, again, thank you for being on the podcast. You're welcome back anytime. We'll let you know if we need a fourth guest to talk about video games and stuff. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, no problem. So, all right. This has been another episode of the Nichols College Esports Podcast from Tim, Steve, and Brendan, and Jared. And Jared. We'll see you next time.